You cannot understand America without understanding the South. It's the fastest growing, youngest, and most diverse part of the country. And Southerners are changing the music we listen to, the movies we watch, the food we eat, and the stories we share. I'm John Hammontree, host of The Reckon Interview, and each week I sit down and talk with some of the South's most interesting thinkers and creators. We talk about how this place shaped them and how they're reshaping the South. So go ahead and subscribe to The Reckon Interview, available wherever you get your podcasts. For AL.com, I'm Ben Flanagan. This is Outbreak Alabama, stories from a pandemic. As the novel coronavirus wreaks havoc in Alabama and across the world, these are the stories of those seeking to survive the disease and its economic strain. Even though these are not laws, I think uh, everybody wants to keep students safe. I think that's first and foremost on their mind, but time will tell. Today we hear from AL.com education reporter Trish Crane. Alabama schools were closed by state order on March 19th to slow the spread of coronavirus. Students haven't been allowed to return to school campuses since then. Trish has covered every new development related to the impact that coronavirus has had on the state's education system. With some Alabama schools already holding in-person graduation ceremonies where thousands of people have attended, the state looks ahead to the fall, when the school system hopes to return to in-class learning. Trish and I talked about how graduation ceremonies have already played out in Alabama, the plan for reopening in the fall, and the strict guidelines schools must follow to keep students safe. So Trish, two of Alabama's largest high schools, Hoover and Spain Park, held graduation ceremonies this week. And there was a great deal of uncertainty as to whether graduation ceremonies would even take place in 2020. But here we are. How exactly did those play out? Well, you know, very carefully, I guess I would say, but in a hurry. The restrictions were such that gatherings of more than 10 people weren't going to happen. And then when Governor Ivey lifted those restrictions, schools really jumped into action to think, hey, maybe we can make this graduation thing happen. And uh, they moved heaven and earth in a lot of chairs and, and, you know, put a lot of tape on high school stadium steps to appropriately social distance attendees. It just, it happened in a flurry. And I think time will tell whether or not those were good decisions. Uh, You know, there was some pushback from folks in the medical community and some students who said it's too early. But I attended a couple of those graduation ceremonies over the last couple of weeks and parents were really happy. Kids were really happy. You know, they they got to rescue this one small part of normalcy, I think, that so many of them needed. And it's a big milestone to graduate high school. Well, and just in terms of the scene at these graduations, like, for instance, Hoover graduated 650 seniors. That's a large class, largest in the state, if I'm not mistaken. So how many people were at the ceremony, including families, students, faculty and staff at the school. What kind of a crowd were we talking about? With the seniors in Hoover, they were each allowed to bring four family members. You know, you get tickets for graduation. So they were allowed to bring four people. So five times 650, counting the students, about 3,000 kids. Uh, I mean, people, excuse me. Um, With Spain Park, they had just under 400 seniors. So about 2,000 people there. They were at the Hoover Met. 
which has about an 11,000 seat capacity. So there was room, you know, and there's some great drone shots and, and overhead pictures where you can see there was certainly room for people. Vestavia had theirs. They only allowed two people per graduate because they were using their home football field. And so, you know, everybody is doing it a little bit differently. I think Phoenix City sort of set the model But one thing that Phoenix City did that others chose not to do is uh, Phoenix City divided their 500 senior class into five nights of graduation so that they could really keep it small, fewer than 100 graduates per night. That was last week. But yeah, it's it was a lot of people. And Hoover and Spain Park both required masks, which was great during the ceremony. Uh, most of the people kept their masks on. I did see com- uh, some masks come off at Spain Park towards the end of the attendees. And, you know, before and after the graduation ceremonies, I think it was hard to get seniors to comply. They hadn't seen each other in a while. There were hugs and selfies. And then afterwards, the masks came off as kids, uh, as the new graduates left the field. So again, I think time will tell as to whether or not this has any impact on coronavirus. I want to go back to something that you mentioned about this being a milestone and something that's been really important to the kids and their families. And you mentioned the drone shots. And our colleague in AL.com photographer Joe Songer's photos, there are so many smiles. There, there seems to be a great deal of relief and happiness in the faces of the seniors and their families at these ceremonies, which is like a taste of normalcy again. So just in your opinion, what kind of psychological comfort has this experience given people? Well, I can tell you what I experienced even as a reporter when I went to Phoenix Cities on May 11th, the first of the state's um, live in-person graduations. It's a three-hour drive, but I was excited to go. As an education reporter, the way that I report has changed greatly. There are no visiting schools, no seeing kids' faces, um, except through social media. So I know that I was really happy to see some normalcy. And the parents that I spoke with at Phoenix City and the kids that we spoke with, they were you know, to say they were excited. I mean, nobody was, you know, jumping up and down because you're still, you know, this thing is there. The coronavirus is out there and you know, things are different, but it was really important to families to mark this milestone and to have their children celebrate with their classmates. School officials that I spoke with said, we did this for the kids. We did this because the kids really wanted to see each other one more time. And parents, of course, wanted to see their children walk across that stage. Well, and Trish, as one school year ends, the new one will begin very soon. And as of June 1st, Alabama schools can resume their summer schedules, but with a lot of new guidelines from the Alabama State Department of Education. What are these guidelines? Well... They cover everything from, you know, you need to clean every barbell between students if they're working out in the weight room to you need to install hand hygiene, what they're calling hand hygiene stations in multiple places across the school. You need to monitor, school officials need to monitor kids for health symptoms. Parents need to be educated, you know, keep your child home if they're sick. 
And as a parent who had a son participate in athletics, he wouldn't have wanted to miss any of those summer workouts. So I can think that this is probably going to be a challenge for parents. You know, I'm not sick. I'm not sick. Let me go work out sort of thing. But one of the, the things that really hit me was the requirement to keep students in small groups. And to be clear, as of June 1st, children going into the 7th through 12th grade can return to school. The younger students are still not allowed to come back. That is supposed to happen in July, early July. But keeping students in small groups, having no more than 12 students in a group with one adult. When I spoke with Dr. Mackey yesterday, he said this is a thing that coaches have said can happen. You know, this is not, I thought to myself, how can you have enough personnel to keep students in groups of 12? And Dr. Mackey believes that, you know, this is not going to be a problem for our schools. So these are, these are new restrictions. They're tough. You face masks. Students have to wear face masks. If six feet of space, which is 36 square feet around you, cannot be maintained. And teachers have to wear face masks too. Well, and in one of your articles, Alabama Superintendent Eric Mackey said, quote, these are not laws, they're guidance. So they're requirements, but they're not laws. So do we think that many schools will ignore these guidelines if they're not laws? That's a good question. What I have seen so far is there is a willingness of schools and school officials to follow guidelines that they are able to comply with. It still remains to be seen how quickly can these hand hygiene stations be installed. I'm guessing they're going to go to the high schools first because this is probably where most of the activity is going to happen. But think about like band camps where they typically bring two and three hundred kids or yeah, I know Hoover has a huge band, but they bring, you know, large numbers of students together. And how do you play a trombone if you have a face covering on? And so there are a lot of questions that still have to be worked out. But I do think that school officials, even though these are not laws, I think everybody wants to keep students safe. I think that's first and foremost on their mind. But time will tell. Well, and you also reported on the guidelines issued by the CDC, which are detailed and demanding. Superintendent Mackey said that it would be hard for schools to follow all of them, even saying that some of them are not reasonable for practical applications. So what exactly has the CDC told schools? The CDC guidelines are, I think we use the word stark in the headline, because as I read through them, I thought, how will school look? And as a parent, well, I want to send my child to a school where they're taking the temperature at the front door or taking your temperature before you board a school bus. And do I want my fourth grader to have to wear a mask? Another thing they said is, you know, if there is active transmission, you have to close your cafeteria. Kids will eat in classrooms. You can have no playground activity. If there is not active transmission, there are still limitations on, you know, they're saying it's still a good idea for kids to eat in their classrooms. So, and it sounds like, you know, there'll be no traditional hallway class change, you know, where as a high schooler, you see your friends as you walk through the hallways. It's really unclear how any of that is going to get translated into school this August. 
Well, and speaking of that, with all of these guidelines now out there and in place, does this mean, barring any additional lockdowns, that we should expect most or all Alabama schools to reopen for in-person classes this fall? To date, Dr. Mackey has said, yes, he absolutely intends for schools to reopen in August. As you know, we are, you know, the end of May, the beginning of June. Anything could happen this summer. Personally, I hope that we learn more about the coronavirus and how it is spread and how we really keep students safe and teachers safe. And maybe that will translate into different types of restrictions because right now it's like, all restrictions are on the table and it seems worrisome. But yes, Dr. Mackey absolutely intends to open schools in August. He has recommended to schools to open in the second half of August because some have already, most of them already had their school calendars set and some of them were, you know, start pretty early in the, the beginning of August. So school districts are changing their calendars And Dr. Mackey has a task force right now at the state level that is working on putting together a roadmap for reopening. And he expects that roadmap to be ready in mid-June. Well, Trish, as you noted in your coverage, the Alabama Department of Education has no jurisdiction over private schools. And I wonder... How do Alabama's private schools tend to make decisions like this? Do they usually get in line with public schools, or is it more complicated? And for the parents of kids who attend those schools, who should they be talking to to learn more about the future of those schools? These are really good questions. Um, Yes, State Department of Education has no jurisdiction over private schools, which means that, well, first let me just say this about private schools. Most of them operate independently of each other. They're, of course, the Catholic schools There is the Northern Diocese and the Southern Diocese. So all those schools are sort of lumped under one or one of those authorities. And so the decisions are typically made much like a regular school districts would be. But other private schools operate completely independently, usually have a board of directors, a principal, and parents generally have more say in a private school. It's just, you know, fewer layers of bureaucracy. There's no central office, that sort of thing. So I would encourage parents of students in private schools to be talking with your school officials, asking, you know, are you going to follow the State Department guidelines? Are you going to create your own? Because, you know, typically we see in weather situations, private schools may close down when public schools do, but that's a short-term event, and it's usually over the next day, or, you know, snow might last a couple of days, but then with something like this, these are going to be long term because, you know, even if they're a month long, that's long term beyond a, a regular weather event of, you know, this is how we're going to do school. Let me say, too, you know, one thing that nobody really wants to no one really wants this to happen, but they are expecting possibly rolling closures of schools next year, where if you have an outbreak in your community, you might have to close your school for a week or two weeks um, it, up to a month sort of thing and, you know, sort of socially isolate everybody so that the, the outbreak will stop, which means an immediate conversion to distance learning or remote learning. There's just there's still a lot that's unknown. But, yeah, private school families really need to be talking with your officials at your school. Well, finally, Trish, I want to talk 
about the level of concern for the health and safety of Alabama students. And you said it earlier in this conversation that it's at the forefront of the minds of educators. My wife is a teacher, so I know firsthand how much they care about the students. And we know that young people are at less risk than others with coronavirus. But regardless of percentages, it will affect many students if and when there are spikes and clusters throughout the state. And Alabama is also trying to save its economy and putting kids back in school so parents can get back to work is critical in that effort. But what if we're just not ready? Hmm. Uh, that's a tough one um, because the general thinking has been that younger children aren't at risk for the more severe complications, but we do know that there's this sort of mystery illness out there right now. Don't know how it's connected, but think it's connected to COVID-19 that presents more serious complications for children. Plus you have, you know, children live in families. And so children have older family members that they go home to in the afternoons. And there are older teachers also. You know, a lot of our teaching population is over the age of 50, over the age of 55. So, you know, schools are really like giant families, if you think about it. Everybody goes to school all day together, and then they all leave and go home. So that community that they have formed, they are all, even if they're kept in small groups, there's still a chance for that transmission of COVID-19, which could be, you know, devastating to some families. So this is, uh, of course, this is why everybody's trying to take every precaution. And, you know, the hope is that there will be a treatment or that the vaccine will be ready sooner rather than later. And these types of concerns will be less. But, you know, Dr. Mackey says to me repeatedly, this is not set in stone. This could change. These things could change. So, as we learn more about how this disease is transmitted and you know who is most vulnerable and that sort of thing, we could see some of these restrictions change. Trish, thank you so much. You're really doing great work. Keep it up. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Congratulations to the graduating class of 2020, and thank you to the state's teachers who have worked so hard under such highly unusual circumstances. If you or anyone you know is affected by coronavirus and want to share your story, please email bflanagan at al.com. That's B-F-L-A-N-A-G-A-N at al.com. For all of our coverage on the outbreak and how it continues to impact Alabama, visit al.com slash coronavirus. If you like the show, please rate us and write a review. Thanks for listening.